Hello, and welcome to Episode 9 of the Dorothy L. Sayers Podcast. I'm Lindsay Ann Scholl, and today I've come up with my own title, and I did not steal it from Sayers. I feel pretty good about that. Last episode, Episode 8, we talked about education, and if you are in school or have any connection with education, I suggest giving that podcast a listen, or reading Sayers' essay, Lost Tools of Learning. Actually, what she discusses there applies to learning in general. But today, we're going to talk about community. And that's where Charles Williams and Coherence come in. And if you don't have any idea who he is or what that is, this might be a good way to find out. So I thought about entitling this episode Charles Williams and Coherence, but that gave me that academic conference vibe. So let me explain that. When I was in grad school, you'd go to these conferences where scholars presented papers. And for me, when I was looking at the titles of the papers and the programs, recognizability was key. So, for example, they'd have like the, uh, this is, these are history conferences. So you would have the title of the paper and then you would have the person, you know, giving the paper. Of course, mostly you didn't recognize the person giving the paper. But if the title said, One Christian's Perspective on Truth, I could understand that title. I didn't know what I was going to learn about, but I could, under, I, I knew what the word Christian meant, perspective and truth. So I could put them all together and get an idea of the title. Sometimes you get kind of half recognizability. So you get something like Dionysus the Areopagite and the Theology of the Cross. Well, I may not have any idea who or what Dionysus the Areopagite was or who, but I understood Theology of the Cross. So you may be more tempted to go to that talk. Maybe, maybe you figure you can understand some of it. Getting more distant though. And if it said, Patripassianism in the thought of Dionysus the Areopagite. Well, all the major nouns in that title, I have no idea what they meant. And so I was going to avoid that title like the plague. If I couldn't understand it, I'm not going to understand the talk. So today's title is A Man Named Charles William. Sorry, A Man Named Charles Williams, A Thing Called Coherence, Part One. I figure if you don't know who Charles Williams is, Never heard of coherence. That's fine. You know what a man is and you know what a thing is. So we can move forward with that. And you have moved forward with that because you're here. And whatever the word here means here right now. Okay, we move on. So Charles Williams was a Londoner who wrote novels in the 1930s and had one in the 40s as well. He also wrote plays. He wrote poetry. He was a Christian, the Anglican variety. He had a bent towards mysticism and ritual. Now, by mysticism, I mean the direct experience of God through the material world. That's maybe through a vision or hearing the voice of God or um, something kind of representative of God's kingdom or other tangible means. So, for example, Joan of Arc was a mystic in that she heard visions or saw visions. And so she had kind of the kingdom of God breaking in on her in some sort of tangible way. There's more on that in the uh, way of uh, Charles Williams, but we're going to talk about that maybe in another podcast. There's a lot more to say about that regarding Charles Williams. But most people in their life, mystic or not, have a theory that drives them. Uh, proverbs or truth, uh, truths that they return to, that they teach to their children. I got several from my parents. One was, Lindsay, you're a Christian, not a, quote, Baptist, Presbyterian, Catholic Orthodox. You were a Christian first and a denomination later. They had thought through that issue. They had lived it out and they were both quite firm on it. And I inherited that. 
Another one was you can paint any room in the house and probably should paint, paint doesn't cost that much. So any room in the house negotiable on what color it would be. Now that's a little less philosophical, but they lived through that issue, thought it out, and we're both quite firm on it. And now I'm, you know, willing to paint rooms and houses. Okay, Williams had an idea about the Christian life. It was not an original idea. And in fact, one could argue that maybe you shouldn't have an original idea in the realm of theology. That sounds bad when I say it. But you're not trying to come up with a new revelation as a Christian. Um, and in, other, in many other religions as well, you're not trying to come up with a new revelation. You're trying to kind of hold firm to what has been taught in the past. And that's what Williams was doing. It, But he had a term that he applied to what he thought was one of the fundamental realities of life. And that reality was that we share burdens and we have an obligation to share our burdens. No one argues this. Everyone, old, young, Christian, Buddhist, Wiccan, everywhere in between would pick up a set of keys that had been dropped by the person in the line next to them. We all do it. Somebody drops something, we reach down and we pick them up. We are physically sharing their burden. We, you know, anytime you do something kind of nice for somebody else, that's sharing the burden. Anytime you listen to their difficulties, you're sharing the burden. And that's not specific to age, race, gender, religion, or any of that stuff. The question is not, do we share burdens as people, but how many burdens should we share and with whom? So you share your friend's burden by giving him a ride to work. But do you owe that guy hitching, hiking on the freeway, do you owe him a ride? Should you share his burden? This stranger that you never met and may not in fact be safe? So this question can range from complete selfish isolation where you barely share anybody's burden at all to complete codependence where you have got the um, it's a whole weight of another person on you. And by the way, here's a thought. Okay, so I've been learning about, um, I listened to an audio book. I think I mentioned this in a recent podcast about uh, physics and astrophysics. It was Stephen Hawking's Brief History of Time. So I got about half of it, uh, comprehended about half of it. Anyway, so he's talking about singularities and singularities are like masses of, of gravity. That The, the gravity is like black hole. Like gravity is so intense and they're so heavy that it, it, um, if it were to, put, to be put on Earth, it would like drop through to the center of Earth or something. Like it's intense, uh, irresistible gravitational force. You know, here's a thought. Think about this for a second. Maybe humans, like the entire emotional life of a human and spiritual life and intellectual life, all of that human, just one individual, they are a singularity in and of themselves. Like no other person can carry the entire intellectual, religious, emotional weight of another person. We're all little black holes. Now that sounds depressing, but we're all maybe singularities in that we are so much kind of stuff going on inside of it that, that us, that no one other person can bear that. That's a tangent. Let's go back. Okay. Williams argued that burden sharing and at some level was at the heart of Christianity. That's what Christ did. Christ's death was substitutionary. It was our burden, but we didn't want to die, and our death wouldn't accomplish that much anyway. It wouldn't save our loved ones, not from the burden of their sin, at any rate. So we can die for others, and we that can be a sacrifice, but um, the 
according to Christian theology, the kind of the, the, well, you know, the singularity weight of our, of our sin and our, um, the things that we just, we fall short of, and we all know we do, um, Christ took that on, like, he's the only person who could have borne our singularity selves, in a sense. Uh, this is not William's terminology, this is mine. I think you would agree, though. Okay, so Christ bore our burden in the ultimate act of burden sharing by dying on the cross. Okay, but I, I actually am not going to be talking much about the cross in this talk. I want to read from William's book, Descent into Hell. Now, that's a great title. Hey, kids, let's get together and have a nighttime read. We're going to read Descent into Hell. Uh, it's not as, well, it is about a descent into hell, but not in the Dante Inferno flames sense. So I want to read to you a section of this book because it's going to talk about this burden sharing idea that Williams believed very strongly in. And what this is going to show you is how Williams thought that this emotional burden sharing could be practiced between two individuals is quite intentional. It's a lot different than venting or talking over a divorce case at coffee or anything. That's not, well, you'll see. And also just note the conversation that I'm about to read from is between an older gentleman and a younger woman. It's not romantic. It's more of a mentor-mentee situation. Uh, Descended to Hell is a fantasy novel, and this woman, Pauline, has been seeing an apparition of herself walking towards her on the street. Like, she walks down the street, and she sees this, um, this her, she sees herself walking towards her. And she is freaked out and scared to see it again. And so, here, let me read to you from Charles Williams' Descent into Hell. This conversation. When you are alone, he said, remember that I am afraid instead of you and that I have taken over every kind of worry. Think merely that. Say to yourself, he is being worried and go on. Remember, it is mine. If you do not see it, well, if you do, you will not be afraid. And since you are not afraid, she stood up. I can't imagine not being afraid, she said. But you will not be, he answered, also rising, certainty in his voice, because you will leave all that to me. Will you please me by remembering that absolutely? I am to remember, she said, and almost broke into a little trembling laugh, that you are being worried and terrified instead of me? That I have taken it all over, he said, so there is nothing left for you. And if I see it after all? But not after all, he said. The fact remains. But how different a fact, if it can't be dreaded. As of course it can't, by you. Go now, if you choose, and keep it in your mind, till, mm, shall I see you tomorrow? Or ring me up tonight, say about nine, and tell me you are being obedient to the whole fixed nature of things. So she agrees to let him basically worry and fear for her about this issue. And so whenever she's afraid of seeing this weird apparition of herself coming towards her. She used to think, my friend Peter, which is his name, my friend Peter, he's being worried for me. So I'm going to go on and read you a little bit more. Okay, so Peter goes on and he sits and gets himself comfortable in his house. And uh, then he sits and starts thinking. He recollected Pauline. He visualized her going along a road, any road. He visualized another Pauline coming to meet her. And as he did so, his mind contemplated not the first, but the second Pauline. He took trouble to apprehend the vision. 
he summoned through all his sensations an approaching fear. Deliberately, he opened himself to that fear, laying aside for a while every thought of why he was doing it, forgetting every principle and law, absorbing only the strangeness and the terror of that separate spiritual identity. His more active mind reflected it in an imagination of himself going into his house and seeing himself, but he dismissed that, for he desired to subdue himself not to his own natural sensations, but to hers first, and then to let hers, if so it should happen, be drawn back into his own. But it was necessary first intensely to receive all her spirit's conflicts. He sat on, imagining to himself the long walk with its sinister possibility, the ogreish world lying around, the air with its treachery to all sane appearance. His own eyes began to sink, seek and strain and shrink. His own feet, quiet though actually they were, began to weaken with the necessity of advance upon the road down which the girl was passing. The body of his flesh received her alien terror. Her mind carried the burden, his mind carried the burden of her world. The burden was inevitably lighter for him than for her, for the rage of a personal resentment was lacking. He endured her sensitiveness, but not her sin. Okay. We know the phrase, we try to put ourselves in another's shoes. But for Williams, the world was so interconnected that if we can, A, imagine ourselves in another person's situation, in another person's situation, and B, tell that person ahead of time what we're doing. That person can then, when the hour of stress, pain, and grief comes, say, hang on, I don't have to be afraid because my friend is being afraid for me. And this, Charles Williams called, is coherence. Individuals can co-inhere with one another, deliberately taking on burdens, and by taking on a burden from person A, you are lessening it or taking it away from person A. Think about this for a second. What he's suggesting is that emotional burdens are divisible. So I can take my grief, take it to my husband and say, I'm really, I'm just struggling with grief. I lost, I lost anything like I lost this whole week of work that I was anticipated having and I thought I would have this opportunity to do x y and z and I it's gone and he can say okay Lindsay I'm going to worry about that for you I'm going to fear that loss and deal with that loss for you I'm going to do it I don't know this afternoon from two to three so when you are thinking I'm going to be you know you're thinking you're tempted to be grief stricken because of this loss of time um to say, hey, John's taking care of this from two to three. He's worrying about it for me. He's grieving for me. And so I don't have to. It's a radically different way of thinking about emotion. And it is on the premise that you can give away an emotion. Now, the fact remains, what, what, the, the week is still lost. As Charles Williams said in Descent into Hell, the fact is still the fact. It still happens. But the dread of it has changed. Why are we talking about all this in a Sayers podcast? Well, Sayers got to know Charles Williams in the 1940s through reading one of his books. I think his main book, his only book, on Dante. I said way back in episode one that both Williams and Dante tended towards mysticism. And again, mysticism being that tangible experience of eternal things. While Sayers did not. Not a mystic. Not at all. But she had a high regard for both men. And at least at the intellectual level... She repeatedly supported the idea of coherence. 
So in the introduction to her play, The Just Vengeance, Sayers points out that a man's response to um, the atonement is connected with coherence. First, she repeats this quote from Christian history, whoso will carry the cross, the cross will carry him. Whoso will carry the cross, the cross will carry him. And then she says, she quotes Romans, the whole, you know what? I'm just going to read this to you. Hang on one second. Let me get the book. Where did it go? Where did it go? Where did it go? Uh, It's on this shelf. Wait one second. Okay. I think, I think it's better. She always says it better than what I do. Again, this is what I'm, what I'm pointing out here is that this idea of coherence is one of the main idea of Charles Williams's life. And Sayers had a lot of respect for Williams. And so she, if, partially because of this reason. So she takes on this idea of coherence and uh, promotes it in some of her literature. Okay, so she says this. Uh, Man's reaction. Okay, so let me see. Okay, so. All right, here we go. This play is founded upon two passages, one from the Divine Comedy and the other from, I think, St. Teresa of Jesus, although I have unhappily mislaid the reference. Those darn references, they sneak away all the time. They are complementary and together form an almost complete statement of atonement theology and of the coherence of Christ in his mystical body, the church. So she says something about atonement theology from God's perspective, and that's tying in with Dante. We're not going to talk about that. What I want to get to is that second thing um, that she says is that um, the complete statement of the, the coherence of Christ in his mystical body, the church. Okay. The second, affirming the coherence, presents the response from man's side. Quote, whoso will carry the cross, the cross will carry him. And should be taken in conjunction with Romans 8, verse 22. The whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together. And Colossians 1, verse 24. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you? And fill up that which remaineth of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is a church. Okay, I just read that. I it didn't. It's kind of in a little bit archaic language. I think she was using the King James. The ESV says from that Colossians says passage says, Now I, Paul, rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. So in her introduction, she lays out these two things, like kind of atonement from point of view, from God's point of view, and then man's role in coherence. And what she's saying is that, so Williams had kind of taught her about this coherence, like emotional sharing between humans. And what she is going to say in this play is that there's a level of coherence between the church and God, that the church can actually take on burdens from God. Now, in the play, she casts a vision of what this exchange between Christ and his church might look like. And I'm going to say this about it. I usually read Sayers from my brain or my entertainment, but there's a section in The Just Vengeance that messed with my spirit that I thought, wow, I have been thinking about suffering in the Christian life way differently. And it was is pretty remarkable, but we're running a little, we're, we're still under time, but I want to save this for another post. So we're going to cut it short today. All I want you to get from today is a man named Charles William, Charles Williams, a thing called coherence, 
think about those two those two concepts mostly coherence think about think about that emotional sharing we'll talk about the just vengeance and how that played into sayer's own thinking next time in part two Well, thank you for joining me. That felt like it went pretty quickly, but I think it was still good kind of concentrated information. I want to say a short note about that passage or that quote, whoso will carry the cross, the cross will carry him. Now, Sayers said that was from Teresa of Jesus, but then later on, Barbara Reynolds notes that Sayers said later that it was Thomas Akempis who said that. So if you're interested in tracking down quotes and things, look for Thomas Akempis rather than Teresa but I, that's all I've researched. I don't know anything else about it. I'll leave that up to you. That's it for now. Please share your thoughts or comments on YouTube or Anchor, or you can email me at lindsayann, that's Ann with an E, shoal at gmail.com. Peace be with you. Pax Fobiscum, and we'll talk later. <laughs>